the dead scrabbled for an entrance to his grave. His wife was among them, as ravenous for Jim in death as she had been in life. Their faint, soulless cries drifted down through ten feet of soil and rock. The kerosene lamp cast flickering shadows on the cinder block walls, and the air in the shelter was stale and earthy. His grip on the Ruger tightened. Above him, Carrie shrieked and clawed at the earth. She'd been dead for a week. Jim sighed, breathing in the dank air. He lifted the metal coffee pot from where it sat on the heater and poured himself a cup. The warmth felt good, and he lingered there for a moment before regretfully turning the heater off. To conserve fuel, he only ran it to heat up his meals. The brief comfort only made the damp chill stronger. He sipped instant coffee and gagged. Like everything else, it was bitter. He crossed back to the cot and collapsed upon it. The noises continued from above. Jim had built the shelter in the summer of 1999 when Y2K fever was at its highest. Carrie laughed at him until he'd shown her some of the reports and articles. Even then she'd been skeptical until the nightly news's constant barrage had made her a believer. Two months and ten thousand dollars later, the shelter was completed, using most of Carrie's savings and all of his construction knowledge. It was small, a ten-by-fifteen-foot bunker that could hold four people comfortably. Despite the size, it was safe and, more important, secure. Jim equipped it with a generator and a vacuum-powered toilet that drained into the septic tank behind the house. He'd stocked it with canned and dry foods, toilet paper, medical supplies, matches, guns, and lots of ammunition. Three pallets of bottled water and a 55-gallon drum of kerosene stood in the corner. There was a battery-operated boombox and a wide assortment of their eclectic musical tastes. Another shelf held their favorite books. He even brought down the old Magnavox 486SX computer. It wasn't fast, but it was easy on the generator and still gave them contact with the outside world. They'd started out that New Year's Eve day by keeping a close eye on CNN. When the century passed in Australia and the world failed to end, he knew that all the preparation had been for nothing. Country after country greeted the millennium and the powers stayed on. That evening, they attended a party at the home of their friends, Mike and Melissa. When the ball dropped and the drunken revelers counted down, Carrie pulled him close. See, crazy man, nothing to worry about. I love you, crazy woman, he had whispered. I love you too. They were lost in their kiss and barely noticed when Mike turned off the breakers and screamed, Y2K, as a joke. As the months went by, the shelter gathered dust. By the end of the next year, it lay forgotten. After the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, raised the fears of biological or nuclear attack, Jim restocked the shelter. Even then, it was just an afterthought. Until the change began. Until the rising started. In the end, the ghosts of Y2K, September 11th, and other such events had doomed the world. 
tired of the unending stream of end-time prophecy and destruction of Western civilization as we know it, disasters of the weak, endlessly paraded before them, the world had ignored the early media reports. It was a new century, one that had no room for those medieval fears and extremist paranoid attitudes. It was time to embrace technology and science, time to further the brotherhood of man. Mankind had perfected cloning, mapped the human genome, and even traveled beyond the moon when the joint Chinese-U.S. mission had finally set foot on Mars. The world scientists proclaimed that the cure for cancer was just around the corner. Y2K didn't destroy civilization. Terrorism didn't defeat it. Society had faced both, and conquered them both. Civilization was invincible. Civilization was dead.